Rattled and Shook is released weekly, every Thursday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes. For more information, check out the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. I'm April. And I'm Meredith. And this is Rattled and Shook, a podcast where we tune into scary stories and discuss our deepest, darkest fears, but in a fun way. Guess what? What? <laughs> There's a new exorcist. And guess who's going to see it? Meredith. <laughs> no, not me. I am, um, April's going solo on this one. When I went to go see Oppenheimer, I saw the trailer to this new exorcist. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, the trailer was, I, I mean, the trailer was enough for me. Yeah. It's too much prosthetic makeup for Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the makeup, it just really <laughs> freaks me out. I bet you anything the trailer is going to be scarier than the movie. But uh, we'll see. It's got a whopping 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, which doesn't mean much at this point. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes has definitely gotten their credibility taken down a notch, which we all knew. Yeah. I mean, like... of people loved Trolls 8. And you're like, did they actually? (laughs) Uh, Let us know if uh, the priest is hot. Is he supposed to be hot? I don't know. Oh. No, I don't know. I just feel like it's a thing. Okay. I will. I'll let you know. But isn't like, don't some people like the young priest in the original Exorcist? I don't know if people talk about him. (laughs) Oh, I see. I see the young priest. Yeah, I don't know. He's not not exactly my type, (laughs) but I mean, like, he's not. I I mean, I can think of some hot priests in film, but he's not one of them. Although, great actor. (laughs) Great actor. Okay, there's definitely um, a tradition of this in media because there is an Entertainment Weekly article titled (laughs) 17 Fictional Priests Who Make Us Hot Under the Collar. (laughs) Is Fleabag Priest in there? He has to be. Oh, yeah. He's first. I mean, he's first. Is it? What's his name? Andrew? Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I'll tell you if this one's hot. Thanks, April. I'll give you a full breakdown. <laughs> You'll give us a rating. Mm-hmm. I'll be like a podcast bro who rates women. Only I'll rate this hot priest. <laughs> hot or not priest. <laughs> Perfect. So while April goes to see The Exorcist Believer, let's listen to our first story. And I have to say, it's pretty on theme. It's a true story told to us by a Tenderfoot TV listener, Sarah P. It's a pretty harrowing one. Note, there's a dog involved, so listener discretion is advised. This was during my junior year of high school. I was homeschooled. Because of that, I spent most of my days being at home, doing my schoolwork, most days, it was just me and my childhood dog, Sandy. Sandy was a yellow Labrador retriever. 
The day that we adopted her, she was my best friend. She would spend all her time around me. We were two peas in a pod. She had these big, expressive brown eyes, sweet to everyone she met, very affectionate. She had seizures from the time that we adopted her as a puppy. But for the most part, she would be okay. It was just kind of a part of who she was. And so over the years, we got really used to her seizures. Her typical kind of seizure, it would last like maybe 10 minutes or so. She would always be able to tell when one was coming because she would get up really quick and like try to come over to whoever was in the room with her. This specific day, it was a typical school day. I was just sitting in my room watching TV, eating my lunch, and Sandy started to have a seizure. And I came over to her, I helped her lay all the way down. Her seizure was over about 10 minutes later. She started coming back into herself a little bit, you know, wagging her tail and responding to me and looking at me when I was talking to her. But then about five minutes later, she started having another one. Well, this is unusual. I went through it with her again. I got her back down on the floor. This one was shorter and she got up and she was basically beckoning to me that she wanted some water, that she was thirsty. I went downstairs with her to the kitchen. She got her big drink from her bowl in the kitchen and she dropped to the ground and started having a third seizure. She had never had three seizures in a row before. I was by myself at home and, you know, I started to think, well, you know, what if something is really wrong this time? I just tried to get her back down on the floor, make sure she stayed there. Her body language is different. Suddenly, she stood up with all of her joints locked, walking on her toes. It was kind of like when you move a doll around, you know, like a Barbie, their arms and legs are perfectly straight and her back was arched into the air, almost like a, a cat. She would literally like go in one direction, about face, and then go in the other direction, about face again, back and forth, over and over again. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this isn't supposed to be happening. This isn't right. I remember trying to get her to lay down again. It was like she was fighting like against my touch. She was really like strong. No matter what I did, I couldn't get her to lay back down. Of course, I was freaking out by this point. Something like this had never happened to her before, ever. All I could really think of in that moment was this isn't Sandy, this is something else. I was raised in a, in a very religious household in a very religious culture. And one story from Sunday school that had always stuck with me was about these pigs that were possessed by demons. What if that is, you know, what this is? An outside force or an outside influence doing this to her. The thought of that made me so angry. So what I did was I got down on my knees and 
I started reciting from Psalm 23, and it escalates. She immediately starts moving quicker. It's harsher, it's almost like whatever is doing this just decided, you know, well, you know, look at this. Look at what I can make her do. It felt like it was mocking me. I was scared that she was going to get hurt. My temper boiling over at this point, I just stopped and I screamed out, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of our house, leave her alone. And as soon as I yelled that out, Sandy stopped moving and she dropped to the ground and she was back to her old self again in the blink of an eye. She looked up at me and was wagging her tail, was just right as rain. And it wasn't how she usually comes out of seizures where it's almost like this groggy, like, oh, oh, where am I? You know, like that sort of thing. Like she's waking up out of a nap. Like, no, it was instant. Well, shit, what the hell just happened? I was shaking. I remember having to sit down. I think in that moment, this belief of mine, it had turned from, you know, maybe this exists, you know, I don't know, it's possible, in my view, to fact. Calling that out, if yelling that out worked, I think that Sandy was possessed by something. It's terrifying. This one, it's so sad because it's a dog. Yeah, it's upsetting. Especially as a teenager, your childhood best friend, doggo, going through that. Mm -mm. I think we wouldn't have played it if there wasn't a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. And as we said before, this is a real story told to us by a radio rental listener. So we hope Sandy's all good. Well, glad she was okay, at least in that moment. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty skeptical of stuff like this, but it is weird timing to mm -hmm. have the third seizure and have the seizures have escalated so far. And the fact that once she called that out, it just stopped. It's pretty freaky. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty freaky. It sounds like she was being puppeted. You know, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's really hard to listen to. It's like, oh, like, yeah, that would be so creepy and distressing. Right. So do you think that um, Sandy was possessed? I. Where do you stand on possession? So I grew up. Christian, did you grow up with any of that? Like, did you grow up very spiritual? Not really. I mean, I grew up Episcopal, okay. but it's pretty tame. That's a pretty tame religion. Fairly reserved. Yeah. I'd say I more so resemble an Easter Christmas Christian. Creaster? Is that what that is? <laughs> You've never heard Creaster? I guess I am one. Easter Christmas <laughs> Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess all that to say, like, I grew up in New Orleans, which is a very religious place, yeah, all yeah, things yeah. considered. You definitely find people that believed in possession or something there, for sure. Yeah. I will say, I think it's probably more real to me than to someone who didn't grow up with this, like being told that it is a possibility. I think the situation is pretty compelling, even if, you know, you don't ultimately believe it was a possession. But I think I can see how that would turn a skeptic's mind. Like, I I could see how that experience would be really powerful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll know better than I, and I'm sure you'll tell us some tales of epilepsy, but 
uh, <laughs> um, spinoff podcast. Yeah. Tales of Epilepsy <laughs> with April Ruha. But uh, like, if I'm not mistaken, there is a history of like people mistaking possessions with, you know, medical events they didn't have the words for back mm-hmm. in the day. So like epilepsy is the big offender there where it's like if a child had epilepsy, people were like, it's got to be a possession every time. Right. I mean, you'll again know better than I, but don't you get lock joints and lock jaw or you can? You can. Yeah. So there are, you know, different types of seizures that affect different parts of your brain. Um, I never experienced that type of seizure, but I have a friend who did when she was younger and she wasn't moving around. But she would just be like stiff. Yeah. Staring forward, you know, the lights on, but no one's home type of thing. So I used to have convulsive seizures. I had these seizures from the ages of like seven to 10. I think it's a tonic-clonic seizure and they were sleep-induced, hence my sleep issues. That's where it all stems from, I think. But um, but it made you the person you are today. It made me the little macabre gremlin that you all know and love or know and tolerate. You wouldn't have gotten the Prairie Girl story. <laughs> If not for your convulsive seizures. Yep. I kind of identify with this dog because- Yeah, you identify with Sandy. Sandy would uh, sense it coming. And it's funny. She would like walk up to people and be like, it's about to happen. And that's that's what I would do. I would jump out of bed and try to like run to my parents' room. The first time it ever happened in front of someone was- So I was sharing a room with my older sister and she was getting ready to go to bed and I had just kind of fallen to sleep. And I like jolted awake, felt it coming. This was maybe my second seizure, but I jumped out of bed and like walked up to her. I couldn't speak. I hadn't even dropped to the floor, but I had started convulsing. And she turned around and looked at me and screamed. She looked so horrified. I remember seeing the look on her face. Did she describe it to you later what she saw? I, she didn't, I can imagine that it looked really disturbing um that you know it was like kind of a shock to just turn around and see me convulsing like that and i was also trying to approach her <laughs> probably a little bit scary <laughs> mm-hmm. she ran out of the room got my parents they saw what was going on and then they finally realized what was happening because when i had my first seizure i was alone i remember it was the morning of my first day of seventh grade oh, and this is that is just devastating. Yeah. That's like a Judy Bloom story you don't hear. <laughs> Tales of a tonic clonic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it happened. And I told my mom, I was like, I was shaking this morning. I didn't like it. I was shaking. And my mom was like, You're just you were just nervous for your first day of school. So they didn't realize until that happened. So it didn't t- it took the second seizure for them to be like, Oh, she's got epilepsy yeah. or something. Yeah. Did you drop to the ground in the second seizure? I I must have eventually dropped to the ground. I normally did. I would try to walk it off at the point that I couldn't go on any longer. I would drop to the ground. I never hurt myself. Do you have any control over that? It's just like fainting. You're, you're just like, you're, you can't control it. No control. Oh. No control. But you haven't gotten one of those since you were 10? Not a convulsive one since I was 10. Great. Yeah. I'll knock on some wood for you. <laughs> Hold on. I got to find some wood. Everything in here is laminate. (laughs) (laughs) 
And now a word from our sponsors. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. For our next segment, we have a special guest on to tell us about one of their own terrifying personal experiences. Let's put her through. And Sean, you don't need me to record on my laptop. You've got it on the board. Cool. Um, thanks so much for being here, Jody. Yeah, hi. Hi. Thank you guys so much for uh, for having me. This is fun. My name is Jody Tovey. So I own a reality television and documentary film production company here in Atlanta. Um, a lot of my credits are ghost stories. So I do a lot of paranormal shows. Um, and I think when you Google me, that's usually the first thing that comes up. So I guess I'm a, also a, a paranormal producer. Nice. Oh, that's a cool title. Yeah. And did you say you had a a nickname? I feel like I remember you emailing me that you had a nickname. So for years, I worked at a Discovery, um, Warner Brothers Discovery in New York, and I would commission ghost shows. So that's kind of how I got into this ghost business. But every time that a pitch would come through, they would always be like, give it to Tove. She's the ghost girl. So that was kind of my moniker for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Paranormal producer and ghost girl. Yeah. Jody Tovey, the ghost girl. <laughs> Could you tell us the story from the beginning, just all the way back from the beginning, go through as far as you can? I haven't told this story to anyone in like over a decade, I think. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, you know, exorcisms don't come up in conversation a lot. So it's been a minute <laughs> since I've 
I've kind of relived this. I want to say I was 15 years old, and I was regularly attending church about 50 minutes from uh, Atlanta in Georgia. And our church youth group was going to Monterey, Mexico that summer for a mission trip. A bunch of us piled into a bunch of 15 passenger vans, and we drove to Mexico from Atlanta. (laughs) But I remember that we pulled up and into Monterey. I don't know if either of you have been there, but there's this beautiful mountain that just like comes out of the earth, and it's just really majestic. And so we all pulled up after driving forever, and we were just like, wow, we are in a special place. It was so beautiful. And we were staying in this university dorm, and the dorm was also special and kind of important to the story. It's like a horseshoe. And so the open part of the horseshoe faces the mountain. And so if you're inside the horseshoe, you can hear all kinds of weird echoes and sounds. You know, you might feel like footsteps are coming over your right shoulder for someone to talk to you, but it's actually over your left. So it's kind of trippy oral experience. You know, we were there for about a week and our days were, you know, rebuilding homes and handing out supplies and food. And then our nights we were having church services in that dorm, that that horseshoe dorm that we were staying in. I do think it's important for context. You know, I didn't go to a Roman Catholic church when I was growing up. We were a Protestant evangelical church. The denomination is Church of God. That's the name. Very charismatic So that means that our services are extra long. They're like two hours long. Uh, They're very active. So at 15, like I had seen a lot from church and I was aware of the Holy Spirit, but I had never to that point before the mission trip been aware of the other side of things, the darker side, the demonic side. So we were having a church service. It was all of us who were there um, in town. And, you know, it was pretty normal. Our youth pastor did some praying and preaching and some singing. And I do remember seeing him look concerned. We were all seated, all the kids that were there, the teenagers. And then in the back, because there weren't enough chairs, the chaperones were standing above us in the back. Um, And I remember our pastor was like looking over our heads towards the back of the room a lot. And one of the chaperones that night, we'll call him Coach John, he came to the front for the altar call for prayer. And I remember he was sweating a lot. And I know it's Mexico in the summer, but we were also in the valley. And so at that point, we had all put on jackets because it was the sun had long gone down, but he was just dripping in sweat. That was strange. So we prayed for him. I laid my hands on someone's shoulder and prayed with him too. And it was kind of quiet. And then out of nowhere, Our pastor was like, stood up, and in a very authoritative tone was like, you all need to leave the room right now. Adults stay here, kids go. Kids go back to your rooms, lock the door. Do not open the door until you can confirm there's a human person you know outside of the door. And the biggest message was pray, don't fill your mind with anything other than God, don't read your Seventeen magazine, don't listen to music, just pray with the people in your room. I was 15, so I was legitimately scared. So I was like, yep, you got it. So we went to the room and I prayed. (laughs) I'd give us like conservatively five minutes before we ran out of things to pray about. And then that's when we started hearing the screams from downstairs where the service was and I'm on the second floor. 
but because of the echo, it felt like it was literally in my room. Like it was like they were in my ear screaming. It was so visceral. And then there was, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Growling? You know when Scooby-Doo kind of like growl talks? You know, it's like half growling, half talking. Imagine that, but super menacing. And a words that you don't understand. It's something else. I remember even thinking at one point, is there an animal down there? Didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard. It was like all echoing in my room. It sounded like it was literally on my shoulder. And that's how I fell asleep that night. So the next morning we woke up and it was really actually a very nice morning. And we went downstairs for breakfast and our pastor told us that a demon had visited us last night. And that the chaperone who was on our mission trip, Coach John, was possessed by a demon of anger. And that the screaming was him. And that was because they were exercising a demon out of Coach John at the time. Our pastor, I remember he had said something about he had noticed that Coach John was acting uncomfortably during our service when we were singing specifically, and he was kind of pacing in the back, which explains why I think our pastor was looking a little strange and very focused on the back of the room. And so, you know, I didn't see Coach John until days later. But when I did see him and he popped up, he looked wrung out. He was a local football coach, and he looked really strong and tan. When I saw him days later, he looked like a balloon had deflated all of his muscles. In retrospect, hearing that there was a demon of anger that had possessed him, you would never have known. It really felt like it came out of nowhere. And I approached him privately about it because I remember I didn't want him to feel embarrassed about what had happened. So I was just like, hey, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad to see you up and about. He personally confirmed exactly what our pastor had said. He said he didn't have a full memory of everything that happened, but he was possessed. You know, to this day, I still don't know the full details of what happened. That's never happened again. I went to thousands of church services after that, both in that denomination and at that church and outside, and never seen or heard anything like that again. I can literally, if I close my eyes, I can hear it again in a second. I think in the moment it was very, it was very confusing and then scary. But also, you know, you're a kid. You, you just let the adults handle it. To be clear, I did read Seventeen Magazine when I went back to We know what you want. Another ad. Right? Here's our next story. On the lead-up to an impending family death, my mom and three aunts had to go to the hospital to say their goodbyes to their uncle. I was around 15 at the time, 
as the eldest cousin, I, Kate, had around six of my younger cousins dropped off to babysit for the night until they got back the next day. My best friend also came over to keep me company overnight. Among my cousins was Ashley, probably eight years old at the time. For context, Ashley is a super respectful, intelligent, caring, and lovely little girl. She was, is, like my little sister, very close since the day she was born. It was a pretty uneventful night. We put all the kids into the same bedroom with snacks and the TV on. Me and my best friend Ellen stayed downstairs mostly, but we joined them around 1am to watch more TV. We'd been struggling to get them all to go to bed, so we gave up eventually. Suddenly, as we were watching TV, Ashley on the other side of the room starts making these inhuman growls. Then she cranes her head around in slow motion and fixates on Ellen. I try to snap her out of it to say it's absolutely not funny and she's scaring all the other kids too. But no luck. I'm so confused at this point. Ashley remains completely still, growling like a devil creature at Ellen. I ask Ellen to come closer to me and her eyes follow her like a tiger stalking prey and the growls grow louder. Her eyes are black at this point. Me and Ellen are close to tears and terrified. We usher the kids out of the bedroom into the bathroom across the hall while Ashley is still in this possessed-like state. We lock the door. Don't judge me, I was scared. And then, there is silence. No growls, no nothing. We hear an eardrum-bursting scream coming from the bedroom, which, in my opinion, could not have been made by her in typical circumstances. I come out of the bathroom straight away. I know she's only eight years old, after all. But when I come out, Ashley's just sitting in the bedroom. She asks, why are you guys all in the bathroom? And then continues watching TV. Nothing else happened that night. My mom's uncle passed away, and Ashley was collected by her mom the next day. I just don't know. I still think about it sometimes. Hi. Hi. So I'm back. I saw The Exorcist. Wow. Um, <laughs> you look exercised. I look a little wistful. Mm. Like I'm staring out a rainy window. <laughs> mm -hmm. Waiting for your ship to come in. Yeah. So tell us what The Exorcist <laughs> believer did to make you look that way. Well, so I saw this movie at 11 a.m. on a Friday. I don't know if we said that already. <laughs> so there's like two possessions in this movie, which I think is basically the only thing they brought to this. That's what I thought, too. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. so this exorcist is double the demon. Right. Like, that's what it felt like the whole shtick was. Yeah. And half the scares, but actually less. <laughs> double the demon, <laughs> half the scares. It's exorcist believer. Yeah, that's your tagline. Wait, so what was your like, what was your favorite moment and what was your least favorite moment? Um, or favorite thing about it, least favorite thing about it. as In as vague terms as you can make it. Oh, man. Okay, so my least favorite moment is what they do with Ellen Burstyn's character. Ellen Burstyn is one of the leads of the original. She's the mother of Reagan. And that's the possessed girl. The possessed girl, yes. All I will say is that I feel like they dishonored her a little Ooh. bit. Ooh. The other thing is just that you've seen one of these movies, you've seen them all. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like... Every possessed person reads from the same script. 
you're all gonna die tonight. Uh, your daughter burns in hell. Classic run yeah. mill stuff. They have to hit these talking points. <laughs> the possessed talking points. Yeah. We're going to get the same lines. We're going to get the same chap lips. Man, those chap lips. <laughs> They're those like blown lips. up, all huge on the billboards. Yep. I'm like, oh, God, Aquaphor. Put Aquaphor <laughs> on it. This is an ad for Aquaphor. <laughs> they should uh, team up. Yeah. And what did I like about it? I think... The first act, actually, is not bad. Uh, I think it's well-directed. It's a little slow, but like I didn't mind kind of a slow burn buildup. I like the director, David Gordon Green's. Like I like some Me of the too. stuff that he's done. Yeah. Definitely. He did a great job with uh, bringing back Halloween, the mm-hmm, 2018 mm-hmm. Halloween movie. I really like Prince Avalanche. Yeah. Pineapple Express. Oh, that was the first oh, rated R yeah. movie I saw in theaters. He has like a pretty wide variety of movies because then he's like kind of more newly like horror exclusive. Yeah, yeah. I'll say there were a few inadvertently funny moments and one of them was leading up to the exorcism. They gather like a whole team and the way they cut this sequence leading up to it, it's like they're assembling the Avengers. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. It's like the Lord of the Rings scene. It's like, and my axe, and my bow, and my cross. That's really funny. Yeah. But of course, I, I don't think it was meant to be. Yeah, so. I could see how that'd be funny. Um, so was the priest hot? Oh, yeah. I'll say he definitely wasn't hot by the end. That's what I'll say. Uh-oh. <laughs> Rattled and Shook is a Tenderfoot TV production in partnership with Odyssey. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Co-executive producer is Meredith Stedman. Hosted and produced by April Ruha and Meredith Stedman. Lead editor and sound designer is April Ruha. Additional production by Sean Nerney. Production management by Tracy Kaplan and Jordan Foxworthy. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Original art by Puppy Teeth. Follow us on social media at Rattled and Shook.